How many of you have used the phrase, getting your foot in the door? Can you remember that first or second job where it came down to knowing someone or talking to someone who connected you to the person in charge? And that led you to getting a story, maybe that one assignment. And then before you knew it, you were taking every assignment that became available because you needed the extra cash and... Well, you kind of hope that you'd turn that foot in the door to maybe a leg or maybe both legs or maybe eventually getting fully into the room and getting a full-time job. If I recall, my first professional radio gig came because the station manager at the college radio station was friends with a couple of people at the local AM station and Dan McCook, who's still, by the way, at Flagler College, made a call and before I knew it, I got a part-time job doing late evenings at an AM radio station. You know, how we start a career is a fascinating story in of itself. But another really good story is where we end up after that long journey. And for most of us, the road changes along the way. We usually never end up where we started. Carlos Frias started his career like a lot of us did in the business. He knew the person in charge and wanted to meet him in order to prove that he could be a writer. Carlos got a shot at a small paper while still a student, and he's been writing ever since. In his early years, he was covering and writing about sports, and I can attest as a former sports reporter, I know the ups and downs of that beat. Carlos's career would evolve from there, and eventually he would end up writing about food. Yes. He went from talking to elite athletes to talking to elite chefs. I talked with Carlos because of his extensive experience as a writer and his latest work as a podcaster. He had some interesting thoughts on how reporters today have to stretch themselves and be able to tell stories in a lot of different mediums. He also has some fascinating thoughts on the way readers view the world of journalism. You know, because this conversation, I wanted to like talk generally a little bit about your career, but also your take on, you know, your experiences and, and the role that you, you believe as a journalist, you know, you play within the community. And that, that's for me, the important part of these conversations. Um, let me start with this though. I, I didn't know this. Your, did your career start in Cincinnati? Wow. Yeah. Uh, okay. So my, I do my research, no, man. I was I was do my say, research. That's, that's pretty good. Um, yeah, my, my first job out of school, um, you know, I, I'd graduated that summer of 97, and and I'd had an internship where um, a, a couple editors, like I made some good connections and what have you, and I didn't have a steady job offer, uh, but this uh, one journalist who I knew, Julie Engelbrecht, who was the, the sports editor at the Cincinnati Inquirer, said, until you get something permanent, why don't you come up here, you know, we'll pay you, you know, a, a, leave, a living wage. Uh, there were benefits attached to it. It was basically, it was almost like a like a postgraduate internship, but with some benefits. And uh, and I did that for all of like maybe five months, something like that. Um, it was a start. Six months. It was a start. You know, it was a start, and that's really what I needed. Like it's what any writer needs is to start writing. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And then what? You came back to Florida after that. I think it was. Uh, yeah, my my first job, my first real job after that was uh, um, 
was working for the St. Pete Times. It was called the St. Pete Times then. That's how long it's been. The newspaper <laughs> has absorbed another paper and changed its name. I'm now one of those old guys who's back in my day, it was called the St. Petersburg Times. And we were ink-stained wretches, and we liked it, and it was wholesome. Apolo- I know your next career, you're going to be a, 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 an actor. That's okay. A- I got apologies you. I got to you. Dana Carvey for that. Terrible. <laughs> He'll forgive you, I'm sure. What were those early days like, though? You know, and and I, and I know what you mean exactly. Like, you know, looking back at the early days and what things were like. But, for you know, as a writer, what was it like? I mean, I think... Um, it's trying to first figure out who you are as you know when you're writing um, early on you're 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 trying different styles and different you're still learning different styles learning different techniques uh, applying uh, uh, fiction like narrative fiction to writing styles to uh, to uh, nonfiction uh, it's reading a lot um, it's following orders a lot like your editors are telling you do this do that write this story write that story and, uh, and I had a great editor uh, named Leon Carter, who was with the New York Daily News for a long time, uh, more of a mentor. And he was just, he just said, never say no to an assignment. When you're starting out, never say no. Just always say yes. And it's, it's how to get yourself into a bunch of situations that are uncomfortable. And I learned early on, uh, it was such a valuable lesson, man. I learned early on that any time I went into a situation where I felt insecure and I felt uncomfortable, I knew that I was going to learn something that day. And that's kind of how I, how I flipped the switch in me. Like I'd, I'd feel insecure. I was in a room full of people maybe like at a press conference or, or I went to go interview somebody who had had some kind of life thing happen to them that I couldn't relate to maybe. And I would just tell myself, uh, you're going to learn something today. And that let me like bring the pressure down and open myself to to acknowledging that I didn't know, you know. And that's I think one of the most important things for journalists, right, is is to be able to say I don't know, is to try not to be an expert at any point. You know, just to really understand the people that are smarter than you and are and are teaching you something um uh, are are giving you uh, some perspective about their the way they see the world. And I think that's what make that's what's valuable to make good journalism and so early in those in those early days i mean you were writing anything and everything you also you also wrote sports too you did you did sports yeah primarily sports i I was a sports writer from you know from college and and in college like at 19 years old i was published by the sun sentinel i was the regular sports correspondent uh in gainesville and, and kind of writing, you know, the the weekly practice reports, but little features. And then on game day, I would write the, you know, the the big writer would come up from Fort Lauderdale, and I would write the the second story, the sidebar, uh, and maybe the notes column or two sidebars, you know. And and they paid me great. I was like, I this is amazing. I can't believe I'm getting paid to do this for a living. Um, it was fantastic. Uh, and and that opportunity came came about. And I think that this, there's little moments along your life that you can say, that you can point to, right? That you can plot and say, that was a significant thing, which is um, I'd, I'd started writing at the, at the college newspaper um, only because I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I went in, I went in as, a, as an engineering student uh, and, uh, you know, after, 
you know, taking some classes and whatever, I, I decided that that was not going to be for me. But a, a guidance counselor said, you know, there's an open house at the school newspaper. Why don't you go check it out? Well, the school newspaper is the Independent Florida Alligator, which is arguably one of the best college papers in the country because uh, it's it's a, it's it's has students from the university, but it's also uh, from from a really great journalism program. But it's also a completely independent newspaper, which it's an interesting wrinkle, you know. And it and it got my feet wet into writing. And when I came back for that summer. Um, I decided that I wanted to write for my, my hometown paper, which at the time I was living in with my folks in, in Broward. I grew up in Broward. Uh, and um, and I said I wanted to write for the Sun Sentinel. So um, I had this uncle who uh, who was a, uh, uh, an accountant at a newspaper in Cuba, and he loved journalism. And he's like, just call them and tell them that you'll do anything to just be in the newsroom. So for every day for a week, I called uh, the late um, Fred Turner, who was the sports editor at the Sun Sentinel, and uh, his his secretary, Bonnie DePacio, would uh, pick up the phone. Uh, she was more like the editorial assistant in the area. I was more than a secretary. And uh, and she would, uh, I said, you know, by the end of the week, she's, she'd say, hey, Carlos. And I'd say, hey, Bonnie. I said, I, you know, I just, I'm, I'm hoping to talk to Fred. I just, I'll do anything. And and she's like, hold on a second. She transfers me over. Fred Turner picks up the phone and goes, Carlos, so you want to be a sports writer? <laughs> I was like, come on down to my office on Monday. <laughs> so I put on my Ziedler and Ziedler uh, uh, blazer <laughs> with my dress pants and with my little uh, my uh, my clips, and I went down and and um and. Th- they knew that I was at UF, and uh, and he paired me with this uh, this other journalist, um, Ray Cox, who's uh, who's who's really focused on features and and figuring out writers and what have you. And they just worked with me. They just like believed that I had the number one thing, which was like the desire to be good at something, even if I had very little experience. You know? uh, no, no. You know what? I wonder. Do you think that a young person? Do you think a young Carlos could to do it that way now? I think that's the only that's the only way to do it. Like that's still like there's I think there's still some things that are uh, uh, lessons that that hold over, you know, that um, that stand up the test of time. And that is like tenacity and like passion. Like those things are are irreplaceable. You know, those things, uh, you know, the, the system may change. I mean, I don't know if it'd work at The New York Times. Maybe like maybe. If I was, you know, if I was living in the New, in New York and, and I did something like that and wanted to work in the mailroom, you know, and I said, look, I'll work in the mailroom. It's fine. You know, I just want to be in the building. That's literally what it was. It was like, I want to be in the building. And when I went there, they were like, we want you to start writing stories for us on the football team from Gainesville. Now, you have to understand, for a kid who was 19, like the even the you didn't get to cover the football team for the alligator until you had been there for a couple of years. So for the alligator, I was writing about women's basketball which was a great beat but for the sun sentinel i was writing about football so it was like i got to write the big sport you know for the major paper and get paid like 275 a story do you know what that 275 a story was like that's insane money i was minting money and I, <laughs> oh man it was crazy and i was like Man, when I graduate from school and I don't have to worry about going to class, uh, like I'm gonna be so good at this. 
<laughs> wow. I never got to the point where I got to write the big, big story. I was writing, uh, you know, the high school football, you know, so I wasn't, I wasn't minting money, but it, it was still nice to have the, you know, the 300 little word story on the side there with my name on it. I was happy. I was like, all right, you know, I'm getting something. I'm getting there. Um, you know, you think about all those experiences you've had and here you are now, uh, award-winning food editor at the Miami Herald and, I don't know. How did all of those experiences, all those things that you got to do help you at this point? Because this is something too, for people to understand, like with journalists, I mean, there are some people who just like will spend most of their lives covering one thing, but most of the time it's not that way. We're, we're jumping beats. We're, we're, we're moving around doing a lot of different things over our careers, but how did all of that help you now in what you're doing? Well, I think it helped me see that, um, all the beats have one thing in common, which is uh, something that Evan Ben uh, once really enunciated, which is find people that are smarter than you and talk to them and ask them questions. And that's really all of journalism is, is kind of being a conduit, you know, uh, knowing that you're not the ultimate um, arbiter in the room. You know, it's, it's talking to lots of people and hearing lots of different opinions and, and facts, you know. Um, and I think that's what helped the most, uh, because like I said, I, I've, I've covered everything in a newsroom and that's usually how it goes for a journalist. Uh, I'm also very restless. You know, I get bored with doing something for, you know, a couple of years. Once you've gone on the, on the merry-go-round, you know, because every beat has a cycle. Every beat has a cycle where first it's, you know, South Beach Food and Wine Festival happens in February. And then, you know, the James Beard Awards are announced and, you know, uh, uh, in April, and then uh, you know the season ends in May, and then the season in Miami starts in uh, in like uh, uh, you know October, late September, and then you write about openings in restaurants. So it like you can get on the cycle, you can be on the merry-go-round, and it can get boring. So I think it's about finding things that make you um, that that make you a little bit that make you excited, that make you feel um, passionate for for doing something new. You know, was the first time you were writing about food? Was that at the Post, the Palm Beach Post? Yeah, I had been writing kind of general features. I left, I was writing like the big Sunday story in sports. Um, that's really what my job had, had evolved into, and I loved it. It was it was great. The only thing that I, the only thing that got tiresome was was sometimes dealing with athletes who were who were hemmed in. <laughs> honestly, they were they were poked and prodded and moved about by PR people, and you were giving given little snippets and little bites, little bites of time with them, you know, and just, and you're taking little bites of time and little and little and little, and it's not being able to, to cultivate long uh, time periods for interviews. And it got tiresome. And they asked me if I wanted to do, if I wanted to do that, but apply it to general features. And that was like a revelation. Like that was really great because it opened me up to do the thing that I was interested in, which is tell stories and talk to people uh, on a wider scale. And I had a great editor there. Uh, um, the the food editor at the Palm Beach Post is Liz Balmaceda, who was a Pulitzer Prize winning columnist at the Miami Herald for many years. She won. She shared. She shared in one Pulitzer and won another one outright. And she was the one that told me, you know, you can tell great stories in food and through food. And so she kind of recruited me to start writing food stories, and the rest is kind of history. You're listening to The Reporter Studio, a production of City of Dreams Media Incorporated. This week, we're talking with Carlos Frias, food editor for the Miami Herald. 
You can find some of his work on our website, thereporterstudio.com. You can also watch a video of this interview on our YouTube site. It's The Reporter Studio. We're going to rejoin with Carlos here in a moment because he's got some fascinating thoughts about changing beats mid-career. He went from writing again about sports to writing about food. By the way, if you're a journalist, share your story with us. What it was like for you as you were going through your career and you were changing beats. You went from covering this to that to something else. What was it like for you? And what is your dream beat anyway? Also, if you're not a journalist, I still hope that you're enjoying the podcast because I made this podcast specifically for you. People have their judgments of reporters, and some of those notions are not wrong. But I created the podcast so that people like you can meet a journalist and find out that we're just regular people doing a job. If you want to know more, or even if you have a judgment, that's okay. You can share it on our website, thereporterstudio.com. I look forward to hearing from you. But let's get back to our conversation with food editor of the Miami Herald, Carlos Frias. Uh, do you remember, like, maybe, not necessarily the first one, or maybe you do, but I'm just like, when you first started to dip your toe into that topic, you know, what was it like for you at the beginning? Because you're used to, you know, talking about a game, describing a game and the athletes involved and all that. And now you're talking about something very, very different. But do you remember what it was like early on? Yeah, I remember thinking, like, is this important? Like, are people interested in this? Like, are do people, does this does this resonate with readers? And I was stunned to, to learn that it was not only important and relevant to readers, but much more so than anything I wrote in sports. Because sports, people really care about um, what happens between the lines, right? Everything that happens outside, the sports writers that, that dedicate themselves to write about the personalities of people and sometimes brilliantly, like the Mitch Albums and the Dan Lebatards of the world, brilliantly about these, the person and their lives off the field. It's rewarding as a writer to do that, to get to know those people. But I, my, my experience was that readers didn't care that much. And that's the reason why we don't have an ESPN the magazine, really. I mean, we do. And same thing with Sports Illustrated, but not with the, the same kind of readerships. Um, I feel like that that idea of like an athlete feel even when you can relate to them their life is so much more um lofty like they're you know just being well, they're rich. like they're like celebrities yeah, or people in power they're, exactly. they're it's something else yeah it's like writing about celebrities like yes there are things that like that you know celebrities they're just like us you know like there's things that <laughs> they're human beings but people don't care in the same way it doesn't affect their daily life i think is what i mean to say it doesn't affect their daily life but when i started writing about food like i found an interesting family or something and i wrote about their restaurant and i wrote about how they you know like the trajectory that led them to open this thing that had then turned their lives into a thing that gave them income but also passion and meaning and then you write about this place and people in the community read about it and they go and it changes that that restaurant owner is that owner's life and the, the staff's life and everything else. And, and then a community feels like they learn something like, oh, I have a new pizza place. I have a new Mexican place. I have a new taco place. Uh, I, I found the new, wow, that, that cube, this Cuban sandwich that I had here is really the best one I've had. And that really affects people's daily lives. And I, I really, I was surprised by that. 
And that has been uh, the thing that's really kindled a, an interest and a passion. And you know me. what? Not everybody is into sports, but we all eat food. <laughs> so That is correct. That you, is correct. Some of us eat too much food. Uh, don't remind me. I am patting my no, stomach. No, don't but, remind uh, me. I know, I know. I know. Uh, you, then you got, the, you got the gig. I remember I was working... Um, you know, we had our, the WLRN had its studio at the Miami Herald. And I remember they brought you in and, you know, people are like, oh, this guy is really good. This, and I never met you at that point. I didn't know. Um, what was it like getting that gig? I mean, the, your, your hometown paper was a Sentinel, but here you are now at the Miami Herald as the food editor. Now this is, this is your gig. What was that like? Well, it's funny because I grew up in Broward, but my heart was always in, in, in Dade because my parents. I won't tell anybody from Broward. You just said that. No, I mean they know. They know. Like, look, girl, I only love, I only love croquetas in my bed. I'm sorry. I, I only love croquetas in Miami. I'm sorry. Uh, People in South but, Florida understand this inside joke, but that's all right. But uh, no, I mean, like my all my family was in Hialeah, Southwest Miami, and La Sauesera. My dad and my mom were the only ones that lived in Broward, so it's like I lived like staring out the window, like. <laughs> For my parents to like go, you know, like, and, and we'd go like three times a week to my abuela's house. And when I went to my abuela's house, it was all like, you know, the, the 15 cousins and los tios and las tias, you know, and, and like that energy and that life and like that, like that's where my heart was, you know? You're a Miami um, boy. Yeah, I'm Miami. I am a Miami boy. So, so getting the job at the Herald was, I mean, that's, this is where I had always wanted to work. I mean, it's, I like always, like I'd never dreamt of writing for the New York Times or the Washington Post, although I've had opportunities, you know. Um, I just, that first year, my hair was on fire writing at the Herald because I felt like I had to be on top of everything and I wanted to understand what the food scene was like and this and the restaurants and, and which place was good and, and which stories were out there. And it was so vast. It was like it was like opening the door to like a, one of those ultra-quiet rooms, like from an ultra-quiet room into like a concert you know, wow. into a Metallica concert. And wow. it was just like the flow of all this information. Honestly, after the first year, I was I was burnt out. I mean, I was burnt out. And I stepped back and I said, all right. I let I, I adjusted the volume down, I adjusted my levels, and I said, All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna sift through all this noise. And instead of feeling like I gotta write about everything, I'm gonna write about only the things that really catch my attention. Like the small stories, things that really have a narrative, things that really have a feeling to them, things that really feel like Miami. And that's what I did uh, going into my second year. And then it's like I found I found my cruising altitude. Like, all right, I am figuring this out. I think, and, and thank you for saying that. I think that's an interesting aspect of what we do for a living. There's so much in a community to to cover. And, you know, if even just going through our emails, you'll you'll lose your mind if you think that you have to do it all. And you just have to. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to say it. You have to find your cruising altitude, figure out what are the stories that are really catching your attention as as a food editor. How much time do you spend? And, and I know the Miami Herald and I'll ask you about this later. Um, you know, it's a different situation, not, not having an office. But how much time do you spend, I guess, at a desk? How much time are you out? visiting with people going to restaurants you know granted with covid how we've li been living life but what yeah how, how what's the ratio 
Oh man, well you know, there's no newsroom at the Miami Herald. Obviously, we're all working from home. We're we're you know a hundred little bureaus scattered throughout Miami. Which you know what, that's how it should be. Like the things that editors used to always tell you is get out of the newsroom. Good editors will tell you get out of the newsroom. Go talk to people. That's where the stories are. Like that, your phone isn't gonna ring and you're gonna pick it up and you're gonna have a Pulitzer. You know what I mean? Like that's not how that works. I mean, sometimes a building collapses. And the phone rings, but then you have to get up and, and go to the thing. Um, so no, so I spend I spend my time, you know, uh, I'd say about fifty fifty. You know, half the time, you know, go lining up interviews and going to interview people, and sometimes it leads to something, and sometimes it doesn't. Um, so uh, yeah, that that's kind of how I try to balance it. I try, I, I look, I always am checking myself to make sure that I haven't been sitting down inside my house for too long. Like, all right, I. Like there's a story that I need to get out to and whether it's I need to go see a restaurant or talk to an owner uh, or if I talk to somebody on the phone, like, you know, even with COVID, you know, now, you know, it's less so. But I say, oh, could I do this in person? And if I could, I'll go over there and have a coffee with them or or interview them in person or, you know, kind of pick their brain a little bit, you know. Since you brought it up, I wanted to ask, I mean, so the Miami Herald used to be in an office in in Doral for a long time. You guys had this, and, and I never got to go in it, by the way. Uh, you had that office on the water, downtown Miami. And uh, that lot now is sitting there. We don't know what the heck's going to go in it. But uh, I think it was during COVID, all of a sudden, they tell you there's no office. The the place you're leasing, not leasing anymore. You're not even printing at that printing press, right? It's You're printing out of the Sentinel's printing press. I mean, yes, it's true as a reporter, you want to spend as much time as you can out, but what's it like, though, not having a base? I mean, is there something good, not not good about that? You know, I'm probably a bad person to ask because I spent most of my career and all my fundamental years as a sports writer, which you are never in the office. You're You're always at a stadium. When you're not at the stadium, you're at your house. You know, uh, you're going you go into the office to do your expense report back in the day when it was like it was a sheet of paper with like carbon paper in it. And you <laughs> wrote it with your hand like a Neanderthal. We're going to the old days. <laughs> back to the old Back to the St. Petersburg days. <laughs> no, that's and, uh, so, and, and you know what? You're right. Like sports guys, I would never see them. Um, you know, and, and I think I saw you like once in a while. I think during Game of Thrones season, I'd see you the day after the newest episode and that was it <laughs> yeah i'd come in and be like all right let's talk about game of thrones have my weekly meeting and then <laughs> everybody was gone yeah so i guess it, it doesn't hurt then because uh, it didn't it didn't hurt me it didn't hurt me like we meet you know we we meet uh virtually you know once a week you know with uh um you know my, my editors and what have you my editors and other writers but like we're always on a whatsapp group like we there's never any question what everyone in the group is up to because we're always like before I'm up, I already have messages in my WhatsApp group of just, you know, friends just BSing, you know, my colleagues and friends just BSing and talking about what's going on and what, and did you see the story and whatever. So it's like, I, I don't feel disconnected. I feel as connected as I ever have, but maybe if you're a, you know, I don't know, city hall reporter or something like that, it, it, it it's different, you know, like if you used to have like a home base and, um, but I don't, I don't miss it. I'm fine. Let's keep doing this forever. Um, yeah, no, no, no. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting take. Um, I am back in the studio for a while. I was 
you know, broadcasting from home, which is a little bit weird. You're listening to our conversation with Carlos Frias, the food editor of the Miami Herald. He's also a James Beard Award winner. Now, for anyone who doesn't know, that's a pretty big deal. I mean, that's like winning the Pulitzer for food writing. You can find links to his work on our website, thereporterstudio.com. We're going to get back to this conversation in a moment, but I want to remind you that this podcast is a production of City of Dreams Media Incorporated. And they're coming out with another podcast later in June of this year, 2022. It's called Planet Earth 2072. Further into the future, things are going to become more and uncertain. Are here are going to be concentrated on the high ground, and that's going to result dense. in a significant sea level rise. Maybe tackle this issue point. and address it in a meaningful way. Foreseen by events that we can't predict. Your friends, we can project things, and then that's five, six, seven people, and the chain goes on. Is more privileged, and that is not dealing with climate effects on a regular Anybody basis. Anybody to be suspicious of people who claim to know what Miami will look like in 10 or 20 years, let alone 50 years. No one can guess what exactly will happen in 50 years, except that South Florida will likely not look much like it does today. The oceans will have risen, flooding will be a bigger challenge, and things are likely to be hotter. Planet Earth 2072, the podcast, we ask the question, what will Miami look like in 50 years? What will happen and how will we prepare? We spoke with researchers, politicians, and advocates about their fears for the future. You know, it's going to be harder to anticipate what is going to happen from day to day. And the people who are here are going to be concentrated on the high ground in very dense urban landscapes. And that's going to result in a significant sea level rise, maybe adding 20% to those numbers I just gave you. We also spoke with members of Gen Z. We can project them, but we really don't know what this climate catastrophe is going to look like. No matter what, that's not in your control. And I think that, you know, for acknowledging the problem now, we can definitely stop it from becoming much worse. We want to better our society, naturally. I think everyone does. The question of the future, what can we expect? Planet Earth 2072, the podcast, comes out June 2022. You can learn more about the podcast at planetearth2072.com, or you can find us on Facebook. Planet Earth 2072, the podcast, is out later in June of 2022. Stay tuned for more. Now let's get back to our conversation with food writer Carlos Frias of the Miami Herald. A couple of years ago, Carlos launched a podcast called La Ventanita. It's now in its second season, and you can find a link to it on our website. I 
wanted to ask you briefly about your, your podcast and about podcasting in general. Uh, it was a few years ago you started La Ventanita. Really fun podcast. I love this, by the way. I really do. And I know that, you know, for you, you didn't have audio ex- experience that much. And, um, but it, 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 it was a success. And now you have the second season coming out. And I wanted to know from you, I mean, look, you spent all these years as a writer, but now I see more and more newspapers going into the podcast business. And I just wondered, like, what, you know, is the Herald and, and other newspapers that you may have heard from, you know, is this where everybody's going now? Is it like, all right, we need to start a podcast. We need to go in this direction. Is that, do you think that's where journalism's going? Um, I think it's still, no. My The answer is no. I think, I think that every newspaper is going to have some kind of, some kind of multimedia like it has to because like the newspaper itself you know what I mean like yesterday's news thrown into the wet bushes tomorrow is not a great business model for me it was more about keeping myself engaged and interested it's like what I was saying earlier you know like once you've been on the on the merry-go-round a couple times a couple spins around I want to do something different and uh, when I first did the podcast in 2019 uh it was like let's do something really different. Like let's 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 do the video interviews. Um, we'll do like set produced videos in a nice location, but on different locations. We'll you know we'll we'll edit the audio. We'll put that as a podcast. I'll write a short story to go with it. We'll embed the audio and the video, so there'll be like a place where you can get all three. And it was this really awesome package, and it won some awards and everything else. And it was exhausting. <laughs> I did, <laughs> I did like like uh, seven seven or eight episodes. And Lewis, man, it was because it was just me, our video guy, uh, Matthias Ochner, and usually a plus one photographer to set up a camera. And then he's editing all the video. I'm editing all the audio. It's all done in post. We're adding music. You know, like. It, plus, I'm still, you know, writing for the newspaper, and I have stories to turn in, and I report. I'm trying to be on top of, of the things that I cover, and it was, it was untenable. Like it was fantastic, that I, like there's the old saying, I love to have written. Uh, and I I loved to have done that show, uh, and I'm glad, and I would never do it in that way again unless I had a full dedicated team. Like if I was just the host, like I would show up. I would do the interview and then I would go on with my life and then everybody else would do their jobs, you know, an editor, uh, editing audio, person doing video, people who are miking, you know, a sound guy, people doing video. That's the only way to do that. That's why TV budgets are so big because otherwise it's exhausting for two people to do everything. So I said, if I want to do it again, I'm going to do it totally different. No, no, it is. Absolutely. You know what? Just briefly, I wanted your take on this. How do you feel about storytelling that way compared to what, you know, as a writer, you go to the, you go to a play, you go to a place or you go to an event or you're talking to somebody and you're basically coming back and you're telling me about that experience or that person through your narrative. Uh, with audio or with video, you know, obviously there's a lot of more production involved, but it's you're still storytelling, but it is a different storytelling. I don't know. Is there one you prefer? What do you think about that? Well, it's totally. It's man. It's almost two different. Uh, it's two different outcomes for sure. Um, and I think that's why, like, good reported pieces that are radio or, 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 or that are audio or video versus written 
um, take longer to, to do because you go and you shoot video. Well, here's how it is with writing. You go, you interview the person. You interview a second person. You come home and you think about it and you think about the interview that you had. And then you think, I should talk to this other person. And then you get that. And that person gives you a different perspective on the first person. You say, you know what? I should go back and talk to that first person about this perspective. And then you do. And then once you've interviewed everybody, you sit down to write. As you write, you write into being your thoughts. Then you become the filter. Then you become, because writing is thinking, right? Writing isn't the physical pecking of keys on a keyboard. It is the thinking, what does this mean? How do I express a feeling? How do I express the thing that I have inside after talking to these people that has made me feel a certain way? What do I feel? And then that's the thing. And then like writing is revealing, right? And so that process is is a tire. And like I, trying to do that when you have to go back and do a, a video interview, like the idea of trying to get somebody to sit down again and do the lights right and get the sound right and bring in the 10 people to do the thing, you can't do that. You can't do that, which is why... If, no, you got to you know, get it all in all one, one shot. shot which is why I think that writing is a more in-depth storytelling. Like it's a more in-depth storytelling. But the other ones, obviously the other mediums, there's something visually about seeing an interaction between two people that is interesting. Audio, there's a there's a, a a feeling of like a, of the story being pumped directly into your body. Like with so something with your eyeballs, when you're looking at it, you still have a distance. But with audio, it's like it's chattering the bones under your teeth. You know, like the the audio is 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 affecting you physically, and which is why I'm obsessive about like if you listen to our podcast, my audio is clean clean because I like. I like that that feeling of uh, knowing that people are going to put their earbuds in and they're going to stream your voice directly into their heads. You know what I mean? There's something about that. So I think they, they each have a different challenge and I feel like a total novice in, in the areas that are not writing, but I try to remind myself anytime I feel nervous, you're about to learn something. Well, I tell you what, like I'll say to anybody, just look at you now. You're sitting in there in your room with your microphone. You got a microphone, buddy. <laughs> All right. Um, last couple of quick questions uh, I wanted to ask you. I, I, so much of what you said, and this has really stuck with me, and, I, and, and especially what you, you know, what you said about writing, which is revealing. I want to help people understand who we are, what we do. This is what this is all about. What we do as journalists. What is it you wish that readers could understand about who, what you do as, as a writer? And, you know, maybe what they get wrong. And it's not, it's not to, you know, I, I don't want to look down on people. This is not talking down to people. This is saying, look, you know, I, I love what you've been saying. We don't know everything. We shouldn't go. I, I, I never go into an interview knowing everything. I don't. I'm just the curious guy asking questions. But what is it you wish people would understand more about what you are as a journalist? What you do? I think that, number one, we don't, we are not, um... Uh, stenographers, right? Like we don't go and talk to the senator and talk to the chef and they, they say 75 words and we write them down and we scribble them all on a piece of paper. We record every word and then we turn over every word. Like we are not the Library of Congress. We are not a transcription service, right? Writing journalism is thinking, is thinking, is using your head. And by that, I mean talking to people and then going home and sitting in silence in a quiet place and thinking, 
What does that mean? And reading over the quotes. And it's being attentive. So when someone's talking to you and they're telling you something, you're, you're taking in the facts and then you're stopping to say, when they catch something, say, well, tell me about that again. Tell me about more about that. It's revealing your lack of knowledge and, as, and letting yourself be curious to get those questions answered. Not just questions that other people would answer. You're, you're the filter. The newspaper, the outlet is hiring you because they believe in your particular ability to, to take all of this noise, all of these sounds, and filter it down into a way that gets at the heart of what the thing is, right? And, and if you and I go to a thing and we report on a subject, we're going to have different takes on it. Like it's going to read a little different because you're different than me. As a human being, you hear things and see things slightly different than I do. So that's that's part of it. Like you, can't, we can't say that there's no implicit bias. We may have it. We do. We walk around human beings. We have an implicit bias. But it's it's listening to everybody, and then it's thinking. What did that mean? And if you don't know, it's about making a call back and saying, "Did you mean this?" Uh, and I think that that's what people. Uh, miss I think uh, or or maybe just they don't, they don't know about the job and that's that uh, that journalism is talking to so many people and it's spending a lot of time thinking about what that means you know mm. uh, well put well put uh, you know the, the other the last thing I wanted to ask you is you know you and I are from a generation and that um, we remember uh, you know before social media and we would just go and our job was go tell the story, you know, meet the deadline. And now it's, you know, you have editors like get the story, meet the deadline. Don't forget to tweet it. Don't forget to Instagram it. Don't forget to this. Don't, you know, it's posting it in all these places. And it's, look, it's a form of storytelling. And, and maybe there's an audience that is just in those places. And that's what we have to do. We have to meet the audience wherever they are. What do you think about that, though? Like, you know, um, <laughs> having to write your story, but then it's like, you, you know, you got to write the story kind of again, sort of again. And by the way, I think you're really good at this. I love some of the videos you've done, the things you've done that are social media specific. They really are fun, but I know it also takes a lot of extra work, but I don't know your, your thoughts on how we have to use that now in telling stories. And is that good? Is that a good thing? I mean, it's a good thing if you're paid for it. On <laughs> Honestly. Yeah, man. Thank you. Yes, exactly. It's a good thing if you're paid for it because uh, uh, I love what I do, but I wouldn't do it for free. Um, and I think more and more the problem that we're having in our industry is that as there are more, as there are more abilities, as, as, there's, as there exists a greater ability to tell the story in different ways, you're being asked to tell those stories in different ways without being compensated for it. And this is a big thing that's happening in our industry. I mean, writers too often are so insecure in their ability to write that they will do it for free or they will do it for cheap and they will devalue what it means to write. And let me tell you how important it is to write. I can show you just one email on any given day and I can show you how rare the ability to not just use punctuation correctly, but to use the gray matter in between your ears efficiently, how rare that ability is. And I think journalists... Writers in general uh, underestimate that skill. Now, on top of that, then learning audio, like the countless hours that I spent learning how to use Adobe Audition on my own, to, you know, doing online tutoring 
trial and error. I mean, I spent two hours yesterday just trying to fix some audio. Um, and that's, that's technically, you know, oh, that's part of the job. Is it? Is it? So I, I like the end result. I like being able to access all those mediums and, and being able to like, uh, you know, share those things. But I think that we need to be, that you have to keep in mind how much time that's eating into your, the rest of your life, you know? And I think that's important. If you're good at something, don't, don't give it away. No, no. <laughs> don't do it for free. And it, and that's the other thing is, is journalism, writing, radio, everything else is not a gift, it is a craft. It is, uh, it's carpentry. The first time you build a table, it's going to wobble and it's not going to be right. And you're going to spend the rest of your life that you're doing carpentry getting good at it. And it's just picking up little skills. And that's writing. Writing is just carpentry. It's not waiting for inspiration to strike. It's the hustle. And it's reading. And it's trying new things. And... And it's it's a craft. It's the craft of improving, you know. And uh, and I think that that's that's the important thing to remember is that you are going as long as you care about being good at it, you're going to get better at it, even if you're not great at it right at, right away. Well put, Carlos. I appreciate having you in the reporter studio, man. Thanks so much. It's my pleasure, Lewis. Anytime, my friend. You're listening to The Reporter's Studio, and this week we're talking with Carlos Frias, food editor of the Miami Herald. He's also a James Beard award-winning reporter. And by the way, as of this recording, he's actually nominated for a second James Beard Award. And he's also the host of the podcast, La Ventanita. You can learn more about that and his work. It's on our website, thereporterstudio.com. Remember to watch a video of the conversation on YouTube if you prefer that, that's up to you. It's at the Reporter Studio on YouTube. Now, while you're there, please, if you don't mind, whether you're on the website or on YouTube, please share your comments or your questions that you have about the field of journalism. Maybe you want to know how to make it in the news. Maybe you want to know how we find our sources. Maybe you think that we're fake news. Okay, fair enough. But at least ask me a question, and maybe I can help you better understand who we are. Well, coming up next week on the podcast... We've become the focus of a lot of um, audience anger. Um, people are like, oh, these are fact checkers are just, you know, they're not really umpires. They're the liberal media. They're trying to put their thumb on the scales. But worse than that, like you'd be kind of horrified by the profanity and some of the emails I receive. We spoke with Angie Holland, the editor in chief of PolitiFact. We're going to discuss the art of fact checking politicians in real time. Remember, you can find this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, Amazon Music, and Podbean. And by the way, if you like the podcast, if you don't mind, just click on the subscribe button for me there. And to help the algorithm, give it a little rate and a review. I really would appreciate that. Because, you know, I want to keep this material free because I really believe that it can help a lot of people. Thank you so much for listening. As always, I appreciate it. And we'll talk again next week. <laughs>